You may be seated. I just want to say a few words. Um, I have invited Anthony Calzia to preach this morning. And I wanted just to let you know that he is in discernment um, for the priesthood, and he has recently finished the vocational discernment committee process, which is a group of parishioners here, actually led by Pam MacArthur and a num- number of others, Pam MacArthur, and a number of others, um, who um, worked with Anthony over the past four or five months as he went through the discernment process here. The vestry approved the, um, the full support that the vocational discernment committee gave him. His papers have now been forwarded to the bishop's office. There are many more steps in his process, but we are in support of him and his sponsoring parish. And so one of the ways that we support those who are in discernment for holy orders in our community is to invite them to preach. So this morning, I ask Anthony to come forward and share God's word with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, Will you join me in prayer? Um, God, I come before you this morning and uh, I feel nervous, Lord. It's been a while since I have preached and uh, we are in a season, Lord, of resurrection. We are in a season of new life as things spring to new life. And yet, Lord, the world is on fire Old uh, racial tensions have burst to the surface. Literally, fires are all over the place, war. And yet, he is risen indeed. And so how do we live, Lord, God, in this place of already knowing, God, that you have won the victory, and yet seeing the battle rage? And so be with us. Open our hearts today, Lord, so that we might hear your word, God, and that you would change us today as we go forth. We pray this in Jesus' name together. Amen. Amen. Well, in seminary, we take homiletics or preaching as a required part of our Masters in Divinity, and I I got to go to seminary, and we learned something of the history of preaching, different styles, methodologies, how to study etc. And we learned different structures for a sermon. And that was my favorite part. Structures or forms, they allow the preacher to put the content and the context into ways that are understandable and hopefully memorable. One of my favorite forms is the classical three points and a poem. Some of you may know it. There is no poem today, unfortunately, but I do have three points for us. I decided on this form to limit, for the sake of confinement, to lock myself in. And it's fitting, isn't it? Because our gospel text starts with disciples who have locked themselves in. They have locked themselves in for fear that what has happened to the Lord Jesus will happen also to them. So what are my three points? Points work best when they're alphabetized, and the letter R cemented itself in my mind, which works because we're in the second week of our resurrection season. My points in order are the reality of resurrection, the risk of resurrection, and the reward of resurrection. Reality, risk, reward. First, 
The reality of resurrection in our gospel text is complicated, isn't it? Jesus has risen. Now, the disciples should have known this. After all, the women have already evangelized the gospels, uh, the apostles, according to other gospels. But the men thought that the women were just telling idle tales, which is a bit of irony in our text because now the apostles sit idle, locked behind their doors. The men lock themselves away from the Jews, but also, ironically, away from the risen Christ. Complicated. Resurrection has occurred. Death's sting has been eliminated. Yet those who followed the now resurrected carpenter are locked away because of fear. And the fear is real and traumatic and near. They watched. They watched as Jesus, their Rabboni, was beaten to a pulp. They saw the mockery, the violence, the crowd, the crucifixion. In fact, the Sabbath is now past, and the Romans are probably at it again, crucifying those they deemed a threat to the empire. And make no mistake, Jesus was and is a threat to empire to those who would crush the poor and oppress them and drown the world in violence. The book of Proverbs reminds us, those who mock the poor mock God, their maker. So this is part of the reality. And we may imagine as the sun sets on our confined disciples, men were dying on crosses outside of Jerusalem, gasping for breath, which... To us, seems out of this world, but for them was just mundane life for the oppressed Jewish people under Rome's boot. The reality of resurrection in our text is complicated indeed. The disciples have not yet believed in resurrection. Their imaginations and bodies lie trapped behind the locked doors of their own limits. Fear and doubt are their locks and their doors. And this, this is where we find them. And the reality of resurrection is also, also risky, is it not? The first risk is so plain that we might miss it. To be resurrected, you have to die. You have to die. Lazarus. The young girl in the Gospels, Jesus, they were all dead before they were resurrected. Death is the risk of resurrection, and death can come in 10,000 different ways. Pick up your crosses and follow me, says the teacher. And this is worth reflection. And we can see some of this picking up of crosses and the first fruits of this death and resurrection around us, can we not? As men and women in this parish try to envision and participate in a world of beloved community 
And today, they will gather during education for a session on beloved community. A world of beloved community where those in need of shelter and hospitality find a city of refuge in our parish. We who have been sprinkled or immersed into the chaotic waters of death and raised through baptism to new life, a life we say is shaped by resurrection, we lead the way. And in our text, Jesus meets the disciples and his presence and words cause a problem. Let your sanctified imagination see women and men on the floor at table eating in silence or heated argument or tears. Then Jesus appears. They may lock their doors all they want, but Jesus will never be confined again. He is risen. He is risen indeed, and they must have been terrified. Dropped glasses shatter, screams, prayers, oaths, maybe cursing. They were fishermen. And our Lord speaks, peace, peace be with you. Shalom. And our text says they rejoice. And yet Jesus has to offer them peace a second time. More shalom. And this shock of resurrection. We who believe in the resurrection of the dead, what are we to do? Jesus has an answer, but only we can flesh it out. He tells the disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And it takes a lifetime to unpack and live those sending words as we're empowered by the breath of the Holy Spirit. And the question I asked myself as I read this is that is it possible that sometimes we are like those disciples, still locked up in the fear of death that keeps us from walking in the new life? Jesus has not only promised for us, but demonstrated through resurrection. What are we afraid of? What am I afraid of? What is the death that we must die to be resurrected? And it's far from simple. Must we die to the fear of speaking out against the violence we see in our nation and in the world? Must we cease to let fear keep us from standing up for those people whom the churches have so often marginalized? Oh, but they might call us radicals. I had a friend the other day say he didn't want to be thought of as radical when he was talking about following Jesus in a certain way. Will we lose the respect and the love of friends and family and our fellow parishioners? And it gets worse, or better, depending on where you stand. Because I think that if we take 
resurrection seriously, if we unlock the doors and let go of our fears, we will have to let Jesus change every part of our lives. The resurrection is radical. And what's so wrong with that? The Latin word for radical is radix, which means root. Radicals are those who don't just get to the fruit problems, but they go to the root problems. I've known those who have embraced something called the new monasticism, where they've moved into downcast neighborhoods, shared resources, shared meals, shared prayers, and witnessed to radical and risky resurrection. I know a family who takes time to put together bags full of recommended snacks and supplies for those who are unhoused in our community and always has them at hands. A witness to risky resurrection. I think of Glencliff UMC right down the street where they had land and in the wake of the flood of 2010 made a decision and a plan formulated so that they built an affordable housing initiative for those pushed to the margins and unhoused in our community. I think of the works of our parish, the families and parishioners who have been a part of Room in the End. As Teresa of Lisieux, the little flower, said, the way of Jesus is to do little things with great love. Small acts, big acts, but great love. So what is ours to do? What do we overcome? How do we overcome the fears that so easily capture us? First, I think we hear the words of our Lord, which are not words of condemnation, not words of, well, you screwed that up, or you're not where you should be. No, the words of the Lord are, peace, peace be with you. Peace be with you in another place. I give you my peace, Jesus tenderly but firmly says. Not as the world gives peace do I give with its requirements and its demands for conformity and for locked doors. The world's peace costs silence, complicity, going with the flow. But you see, the really dangerous risk of resurrection is that we will be drawn away from our plans and our path, which many times involves upward mobility, and called instead to the path of downward nobility. Down, down into the font, down into the grave, so that we might be raised to a new life that we can scarcely imagine. So there's a risk to resurrection, but I suggest that there is a risk that the disciples are taking by locking themselves away in their safe home, or what they think is safe, and it's worse than death, I think. So what is this risk? C.S. Lewis captures the opposite of resurrection in his book, The Four Loves. He writes, love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure that your heart remains intact, you must give it to no one 
not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And the risk of resurrection is vulnerability, is solidarity with the downwardly noble, is the risk that our hopes for power, wealth, health, and security will all have to change. So that was the risk. What about the reward? What about the reward of resurrection? The answer is simple and also complicated. The answer is the reward of resurrection is freedom. Freedom. No more locked doors. No more locked doors. No more divided life. We become free people, not locked up by the fear of death, but free adventurers on the path of God's love. The scriptures are vague on what life after life after death is like. Paul says, we die like a seed and are raised a spiritual body. Okay. I'm, I'm sure someone knows what that means. I'm, I'm not one of them. But I know, I know without a doubt, because I have seen it in others. I've seen it in this parish. Sometimes I've seen it in my own life and family. I know that there is a love greater than death. There is a way of life that is more amazing than we can ever imagine. If we will only believe, if we will only unlock the doors. And so, my sisters and brothers, my siblings in Christ, to experience real resurrection, we must throw open wide the doors of our love, our lives, our families, and especially of our churches. And in this openness, we will know what Jesus really, really means when he says, peace be with you. Amen.